Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we augment your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Stephen Hoffman continues our chat about the five technological forces that change everything. Focusing on automation and intelligence. But first, here's news of complex discoveries. The 2021 Nobel Prize in Physics was jointly awarded with one half to Sukro Manabe and Klaus Hasselmann, and the other half to Giorgio Parisi. Sukro Manabe showed how increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere lead to increased temperatures at the surface of the Earth. In the 1960s, he led the development of physical models of the Earth's climate. His work laid the foundation for the development of our current climate models. About 10 years later, Klaus Hasselmann created a model that links together weather and climate, answering the question of why climate models can be reliable despite weather being changeable and chaotic. His methods have been used to prove that the increased temperature in the atmosphere is due to human emissions of carbon dioxide. Around 1980, Giorgio Parisi discovered hidden patterns in disordered complex materials. His discoveries are among the most important contributions to the theory of complex systems. They make it possible to understand and describe many different and apparently entirely random materials and phenomena, not only in physics, but also in mathematics, biology, neuroscience, and machine learning. Congratulations to the winners! You're listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. What are the major technological forces for change in our lives that we need to talk about? Stephen Hoffman, known as Captain Hoff in Silicon Valley, is the CEO of Founders Space an international startup incubator, and the author of The Five Forces That Change Everything. I spoke to him by Zoom and continued by asking him, what does he think about lab-cultured meat? And what they feed the meat? These lab-cultured meats are coming. They're here. They're here now. They have great potential for good. Right. First of all, if you are somebody who is empathetic with the suffering of animals in our factory farms, which is pretty cruel to these animals. We don't treat them nicely. They actually suffer. You can eliminate that. You can literally grow this meat in vats, process it and ship it off. There are other people who say it could be greener. 
Like, because a lot of our farming with, you know, the sewage from pigs and cows and stuff, it's really polluting and the methane from cows and all these different byproducts of, and we're injecting them with, you know, these antibiotics. And there are all these negative side effects to our factory farming, our industrialized farming as we developed it. So this could be healthier, uh, cleaner for the environment, all these potentials. We're not there yet though. We're in the early stages. In some ways, this lab culture meat is very expensive to produce still, and it consumes a lot of electricity, and you have to have these stem cell cultures that you breed, in the, in, and I won't go into all the specifics. It's too much for most people to handle, but the thing is, in the short term, it won't solve all those problems. In the long term, it has the potential to. And it's absolutely amazing technology. And, you know, this type of technology has far fewer downsides than it does upsides. Like, because our, our current state of, of industrialized farming is not great in any respect. You know, it's not great for us, our bodies. It's not great for the planet. It's not great for the animals, right? It's not great for anything. We can do better. Some people are talking about, you know, the artificially grown meats, lab grown meats. That's one area. You, uh, other people are promoting insects because they're super high protein. And if you don't think about you're eating insects, they can be great food source, especially on planets like Mars and places like that. Insects could be the thing that people end up surviving on. So there are a, a, a host of technologies out there right now that are transforming our food industry. You know, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Not only that, we can now genetically alter our food, just like humans. And this is happening for sale right now. You can go out and buy genetically altered salmon, like salmon that has been gene edited, literally so that it grows faster. Like it grows faster. What is, is that good? Well, if the salmon isn't bad for you, it's great for the environment because you know when we have these uh, fish farms, they're extremely polluting. So the faster you could grow the salmon, the less time they're in the water, the, the less pollution potentially that you could have. And there's lots of other benefits. We're gonna be, they're working at the University of Florida now on cows that have been genetically altered to be heat resistant. Why would you care if a cow is heat resistant? Well, not because you're gonna barbecue it, but really you're, you care because climate change. So all of our plants and cattle and every, we've created this huge problem in the world. We're gonna to have to start using gene editing to solve climate change or at least to survive through it. So we're gonna to have to upgrade our livestock. We're gonna upgrade our plant, you know, the seeds out there. So everything is going to be gene edited in the future, whether people like it or not, whether they are opposed to it or not, even for the survival of the human race to feed our growing population in a world where food production is at risk, this technology is going to become more and more essential. And that leads, of course, into other things like robot farming. Oh, yeah. So robo farming is really fascinating. So robots are taking over, they're potentially taking over everything. So right now they have experimental farms where literally a robot can go in and do everything from planting those seeds to harvesting, like the entire process without human beings. And they have also indoor farms that are getting completely automated. And indoor farms are even more promising because again, climate change, you know, they are resistant to that because they're indoors. You can completely control the environment. Also, uh, being farming indoors, you can keep out pests. So you don't need all these pesticides and other things. It can be really organic and very good for you. It's still expensive. This is why of our food, you know, still cheaper to grow it the old fashioned way. But in the future, as this technology matures and these 
totally automated farms come into being, we are going to see more and more automated farms. We're get, they're talking about automating factories like Foxconn, the big you know manufacturer of the iPhone and so many other products. Their their chairman is dead set. He says, you know, if I didn't have to have a single human employee, I wouldn't. That's what he said. Like if human beings, he said, are headaches. So literally, at some point. He would love to automate every factory totally. They call it lights out factories. Will we have these? Inevitably, we will. Like, you know, human beings aren't the best workers. Like we get sick, we want benefits, we want holidays, we only work during, you know, certain hours. A machine will work forever. Like as long as you're, you, you maintain it and, it and you give it power, it's working and it's not complaining and there aren't any lawsuits and there aren't any you know, other problems. So will the workforce be automated? Yes. And then you get to the question, you know, oh, we have these super smart AIs making all the hard decisions for us. We have machines producing all of our products and food and everything we do. What do we do as human beings? Will this destroy us because we literally have too much time on our hands? Now, this is very funny because they said if a person, uh, the average person doesn't have, I, I forget the exact number, but it's like if they don't have around 20 hours of work a week, then they start to get depressed because people like stuff to do, like they don't like to do nothing. But on the other hand, I honestly believe that if we have more time People are depressed because a lot of us think that work is our identity. Like we are our work. And if we aren't working, we aren't, we're not really worth something, right? We don't demand the respect of other people and ourselves. And we're very social creatures. But if you look back at history for, you know, a hundred thousand years, people were hunter gatherers and they didn't really work that much. I mean, they would go off hunting, which was more like fun. And they would, you know, they would, do, they would work some, but they had lots of free time and they, it didn't really impact their psychology. And I believe in the future when work isn't how as valued as it is today, when it's devalued, oh, a machine could do that. Why would I waste my time? Then people will find other values. They'll find their, they'll be so impassioned with whatever hobbies there are, whatever, you know, if they want to be a writer, if they want to be a researcher, if they want to create art, if they want to participate in rich gaming worlds. And people may be rewarded in different ways. They may be rewarded for these more personal expressions of humanity. They may be rewarded for how we interact with one another. Like, are we making each other happy? Are we being helpful? Are we being kind? So we may have a totally different way of evaluating human worth and our status in society would be completely different. So we may be entering a world without work, but where human beings find a lot of fulfillment. So that is, that is the very positive view and what I actually think the potential is if we get it right. I think that's a huge thing that people need to think about. I mean, most people who, as you say, they panic at the idea if someone doesn't give them a task, they don't know what to do with their time. But if you ask them, what was it you wanted to do before you discovered that you had to work to live? And most people think, well, I always wanted to do this or I would have liked to do that and that and that, but I couldn't have time for all of that. Absolutely. And look, when I was a kid and I was off on summer break, I never complained. <laughs> I was never bored. Like there was always something I wanted to do and summer was always too short. So if you tell me I'm not gonna be happy not working, I don't believe you. Like I, I, you know, we'll literally all be kids again. It could be wonderful. I actually think we, a lot of us do jobs 
that we don't want to do just for the status of it or the money. A lot of us do jobs that are really boring, like that we, we would, you know, they're just boring. They're not creative. They're not. And we could liberate people to do this as long as we get the social structure right. And that means that a few people aren't making all the money off these robots and everybody else is living in dire poverty. We need to make sure that the wealth created by these machines, which will initially under capitalism be owned by a few large corporations and very rich people, we've got to make sure that that wealth is distributed because if it's not, it's not going to be pleasant for the majority of humanity. Absolutely. And then, so we talked a little bit on deep automation. I guess we missed some of human expansionism. (laughs) So, Human expansionism, you know, we're going into space now, we're on our way to Mars, to colonizing Mars. I predict that colonizing Mars with people, any more than like a few people in an experimental unit to really build a sustainable human colony on Mars is still a long way off. It's despite Elon Musk, you know, he's accelerating it, definitely. But probably we're going to start with robots because robots Mars is a very harsh climate. It is like brutal. It makes like the earth in climate change seem like nothing. (laughs) This is paradise, even with the most extreme climate change compared to what Mars is already. It's totally toxic. It's just an awful, awful place to live. So I wouldn't want to be one of those early ones. I'll let Musk and his acolytes go there and and be the pioneers there because it's not going to be that pleasant. But uh, for robots, it's great. They could, they can, we can design robots, they can prepare the way. And in the long run, we will be colonizing Mars. What I do think people should think about is before we go off and look at Mars as our savior, we need to get our own house in order. So we need to be putting uh, technologies to work here on this planet to make it more livable. It's, you know, and to stop climate change and reverse climate change and, and preserve species. We have a lot of work to do here. We should be, you know, more focused on here before we're focused on terraforming a whole new planet. However, space has a lot of benefits and a lot of the benefits trickle down from space. You know, the things we develop in space end up making a big difference back on earth. And it's great that some people are pushing uh, us to go further and faster in that direction. Nanotechnologies, super amazing. Like we're gonna have these tiny robots that uh, literally are changing the world around us. They might be robots out there that we let, go in replicate in the oceans that consume all the plastic that's killing the oceans literally we might have robots that literally make it so we never have to take a bath we have these little invisible nanobots on our body eating off all the bacteria and dirt like we're we never have to take a bath again pretty amazing we might have these robots in our body literally fighting cancers and other diseases and regulating our system nanotechnology is going to be amazing and that's probably going to be the advanced computer brain interfaces or these little nanobots that little like permeate the the blood brain barrier and actually make it into our brains and actually start uh acting as transmitters we'll see right but that's so the nanotechnology it's just so incredible they're developing new materials now a lot of people have heard of graphene it's one of the basic materials that they've developed you know this super uh you know thin material that it seems impossibly strong like it can support the weight of an elephant yet it's like one molecule thick it's like so thin this uh Uh, This is just one of many, many materials that are being developed in laboratories. And with quantum computing, quantum computers aren't going to be the ones you run in your home laptop or on your phone. Like they just aren't designed for that. And they aren't really good at those type of processes. But what they're really good at is solving complex equations like you would do at a molecular level where things are very unpredictable, you know, in that chemical 
equations. Really good at that. And they're going to allow us to make huge strides forward in our research and developing these new materials. We'll have materials now that are just unbelievable that you, none of us can even imagine these materials, you know, planes that are so lightweight, like you could lift them with your finger, but yet they're an airplane and things like that. And it seems impossible, but this stuff is coming. Um, and it will transform our building of our homes, the building of our cities, everything about our lives. And then you get into the intelligence explosion. And this is where things really go crazy because once we uh, imagine this, we are building lifelike robots right now. We are creating these robots. Um, and, and there's uh, a Japanese guy, a scientist called Ishiguro, and he is actually building these robots that are getting harder and harder to distinguish from human beings. You could literally be across the room and not know it's a robot. And soon we will have, in the not too distant future, robots walking amongst us that unless we went up and really touched, we, we would not recognize as robots. That will happen. Now, what happens when you couple this with AGI, artificial general intelligence, and that's intelligence, AI that is not narrow, but broad and can actually contextually understand the world and interact with us. That robot will then be able to think, at least on the surface level, act much like a sentient being would, a conscious being. So these robots will then be populating this planet, living beside us. Some of these robots, we may choose to become our companions in life. Right, So there's lots of people who can't find the perfect companion. Would they spend their money, a considerable amount of money to find the perfect robot companion that looks like the ideal mate for them? And th not only that, this, this robot could be programmed never to fight with you, never to argue with you, always to you know, help you out. And, and you know, it's gonna be very hard for human beings to compete with a robot that's perfect like a perfect design perfectly for you with all the same interests you have and, 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 and really stimulating for you. What happens when we start replacing each other with these machines? Now, there's some people, some scientists and philosophers out there who are terrified of this. Like we will forget, it will become so easy to interact with these robots that we will wanna spend all our time with these robots instead of one another, because human beings are difficult. Human beings don't always do what we want them to do. Human beings aren't perfect and they're making mistakes and they're annoying. Whereas this robot is designed not to be annoying and to do everything we want and to do it perfectly. Will these robot companions and potentially robots mate transform human society? They have that potential. And there is a philosophical debate going on right now, whether this is good for us or bad for us. If somebody's very lonely, they don't have anybody, they can't find you know, somebody who matches with them, they may say it's the best thing that ever happened to them, honestly. Like, and other people may say, we're losing our humanity. Like we're literally getting these subservient beings. And then you get into the ethical issues, which are coming, which is literally like you're living with this robot. Are they your slave? Like, are they conscious? Like, are you allowed to just tell this robot what to do they have to do everything you say is that good for us does that turn us into more of monsters where we have no respect for them you can watch movies like westworld and get a feeling for what the potential could be and these are science fiction now but these issues are going to be real and we're going to have to deal with them so everybody it'll be a pretty intense debate because these robots are going to be introduced gradually but there'll come a point where we're they're just 
they're being mass produced, right? And there are these robots everywhere that we can start to adopt into our lives. Now, I will tell you, as I age, I would love to have a robot in my house taking care of me, right? Because it's really hard to take care of yourself. And I would still not want to go into an old age home or some assisted care facility, you know, to stay in my own home and have a robot there. I think most people would really, that's a blessing. So like all these technologies we've been talking about, there are so many good things that can improve our quality of life right up until the day we die. And then there are so many really disturbing things about these robots. And then the question is, can we know if these robots are conscious? Can we know? And if we know they're conscious, we definitely need to give them rights. Like, otherwise they're slaves, right? They're conscious slaves. Now the answer is, we can never know. We will never know what is conscious. Nobody has a definition for consciousness. You know, is a butterfly conscious? People still argue about that. Is your dog conscious? People would say your dog is conscious. What rights does your dog have? You know, people are all over the map on this. With robots, it's, you know, we've created them. But I will tell you, we will treat them as conscious beings because they, at some point, will be indistinguishable from anybody else out there. You literally will not know the Turing test, the great test where you don't know you're interacting with a machine or a human being. We literally won't know that, not just typing on a computer, but face-to-face. There will come a point where we literally will not be able to tell if it's a machine or a person, whether it's conscious or not. So we will have to treat them as conscious. And I believe if we are humane, we will have to give them rights like human beings because we won't really know if they're conscious or not. They appear conscious. And then there'll become a point where that explosion happens in intelligence, right? Where our machines become so good at reprogramming themselves in an iterative fashion that their intelligence starts to soar. Like, because every robot on the planet is networked together. Every robot, all these supercomputers are writing code and rewriting code and learning from rewriting code. And suddenly these robots become so much smarter than us. Then we're the ones at the disadvantage, right? Now they get to decide because they are the superior being what happens to us. And there are people, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, who are, who are worried about this. Like if these robots achieve this higher level of intelligence than us, uh, then it might not, you know, there's one risk of even if a robot is not as smart as us, of just a corporation manipulating us through our attachment to the robot. There's a whole nother problem of what about these robots making decisions autonomously. So all of a sudden deciding that they have their own interests, that trump our interests, that you know they want to put their interests ahead of ours. Maybe we code them not to do that, but no code is infallible, especially if you have a super smart, intelligent device or being, whatever you call it, it will find a way around whatever safeguards you put. So there's no way to contain these. Like people talk about it, there is no way you can foolproof contain these. At some point, the smartest things on the, the planet will find a way to outsmart us, especially when they're exponentially smarter than us. And then we will be in a whole nother situation. You know, what happens to humanity when our robots are so smart that they don't need us and maybe they don't want us or maybe they want us in a certain way. And what will happen then? Or will we upgrade ourselves through our genetic, you know, redesigning so that we're competing with them or we're embedding with them? or potentially, and this is what's gonna happen, all of our brains are gonna be connected to these supercomputers online and offline in robot form and just in cyberspace. Where does human beings end and technology begin? We may not be able to separate ourselves. Like we might be entering this future world 
Like where all of our minds and all of our AIs are so jumbled and intertwined together that they don't even see themselves as separate. Our whole conception of humanity, what we think humanity is, may no longer be an individual, right? Because as soon as I'm connected to your brain, let's say I can even, you know, everything's a signal. Let's say I can start to sense your emotions, your thoughts, you know, your perspective, even potentially using your eyes as little transmitters so I can actually look through your eyes and feel through your skin. Where do you end and I begin? Like, you know, and the same with these super sentient beings, we could populate robots, we could inhabit them, we could see and feel. What are we then? Like, what is humanity? And these are the totally fascinating questions that someday, not in the near future, but this is a little further out in the future, we will confront. Fantastic. It has been wonderful to be on your show. And if people want to find out more about me or like any of you know, the five forces that change everything, they can just come to founderspace.com, founderspace.com. They can contact me or on LinkedIn. I'm on all the social networks. And, you know, I love these conversations. I really, to me, uh, this is, uh, we as human beings, we are embarked on this crazy journey together. And I wanted to share these thoughts and get all of us thinking about this. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. That was the third and final part of my chat with Stephen Hoffman, author of The Five Forces That Change Everything, talking about automating farming and everything else, and self-aware robots. Look for Captain Hoff at founderspace.com. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod or Mincompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the Community Radio Network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule 
to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.